So Calvin wrote a lot, and we last week remembered how Calvin has on the left this sour disposition that we attribute to him. Uh, that when you thought, why am I going to go to a class on Calvin? Because he's such a buzzkill, just a joy, a, a death to all joy. Um, and I hope last week, if you were here, and if you weren't, take our word for it, uh, that we showed Calvin to be someone who really had joy and contemplation and mysticism and power and devotion. We talked about Calvin and the fruits of his theology leading us to see our neighbor uh, in ways that call us to love him or her with everything we have. Uh, the fruits of this theology and of his of his writings being one not of of uh, excessive concern of self, but actually a disregard of self on behalf of other and love of God and neighbor. So uh, the the Calvin on the right is the rolling on the floor laughing Calvin. <laughs> um, and so we I hope you remember that especially this week because we're gonna we're gonna hang a little bit more with the Calvin on the left today. Um, we talked about the institutes. Um, uh, I spoke a little bit already about the fruits of the, the, his theology last week. We talked about the Ten Commandments as an example of by which we saw how Calvin calls us to live, the moral ethics that come out of the institutes. And I won't go back over that again today, but just to say there's there's real good fruit in that. So the institutes of the Christian religion uh, have in the earlier pages this summation that the whole of sacred doctrine, that is wisdom, consists in these two parts, knowledge of God and of ourselves. Um, and the relationship between the two, to know one is to be led to the knowledge of the other and vice versa. You can't separate the two. Um, there was a sense in his discussion of the knowledge of God. Uh, he really wants to emphasize and speak against Conceptions of the deity that are certainly prevalent today, which is to say that, that that God is this sort of warm and fuzzy, benevolent being that's sort of there, but in an amorphous way that we can't count upon or that isn't active in, in our lives and in the life of the world. Um, that Calvin talks acknowledges that we all have this sort of built-in natural sense of the divine, even just by our existing in nature and looking at the stars and the moon and the animals and the beauty. Uh, but for Calvin, that knowledge wasn't enough, that there was more to claim about God, uh, more than just that God is the only being whom we ought to worship and adore, but we must be persuaded that God is the fountain. I know that's old faithful, it's a geyser, but it just seemed more powerful than the pictures of fountains, that God is the fountain of all goodness, faithful, <laughs> going back into time, eternity, uh, and that we must seek everything in him. Uh, and again, I will acknowledge that Calvin used male, masculine language for God exclusively, so I will just use his words, but we understand that to be uh, encompassing all aspects of, of identity in ourselves and in God, but we must Seek everything in him and none but in him. I love this quote, and this is, if we didn't say this or go over this last week, it's one to hold on to, that Calvin writes that not a particle of light or wisdom or justice or power or rectitude or genuine truth will anywhere be found which does not flow from him and of which he is not the cause, of which he is not the cause, remember that, and of which he is not, excuse me, 
And in this way, we must learn to expect and ask all things from him and thankfully ascribe to him whatever we receive. So obviously, this is not just a God who's just sort of floating in the heavens watching the world go by. This is a God from which everything we have comes from from him. Seek everything in God and none but in God. That is, therefore, not to seek those things in ourselves. Because in humankind, there is a problem. Now we have to go back. We're going to look, we're going to be back on happy Calvin for a minute. This is what we saw last week where he talked about men and women having their persons a factory where the innumerable operations of God are carried on, a magazine stored with treasures of inestimable value. Man and woman, microcosms, a rare specimen of divine power, wisdom, and goodness, and containing within himself and herself wonders sufficient to occupy our minds if we are so willing to employ them. Man, aren't we great? (laughs) Well... Oh, yeah, this one. This is also last week. The human race is a bright mirror of the creator's works, and even infants hanging on their mother's breasts have tongues eloquent enough to proclaim his glory without the aid of other orators. We can all say amen to that, right? All right. And we're not going to stop saying amen to that. Neither does Calvin. However, however, okay. So Calvin, as you heard earlier, loved metaphors. He particularly loved the metaphor of the fountain and, and the waters flowing out. That everything that comes out is like from God is like flowing out from a fountain. So as I've wrestled with how God or how Calvin conceives of humankind uh, in our sin, uh, I needed it and I was looking for a metaphor to guide myself. And I'll, it's not perfect, but I'm going to I'm going to use it and share it with you. Um, beginning with Psalm 46, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Uh, and remembering also that in the Garden of Eden, there is a river that flows to water the garden. It's this idyllic image of the river. And of course, we have before us the Potomac River uh, with the daffodils sprouting. Those are daffodils, right? Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> this Potomac River is its a lifeblood of our city, right? I mean, this is it's where we go. It, it, it's, we take it for granted. Its power, though, and its beauty are evident and on display at Great Falls, just the raging waters that inspire awe and a sense of power and a little bit of fear and caution as well. And then you have our ability to delight in these waters, playful, the kayakers on the key, under the key bridge. Where would we be without the beauty of this river? And yet, we cannot even drink its waters We cannot swim in this river because the Potomac River courses with pollution. It's pollution that we inherit from the excretions of factories and fields upstream. And it's pollution that we also, to which we contribute. Residents of Alexandria City know that every time it rains, we dump millions of pounds of our sewage into the Potomac River totaling 140 million gallons of sewage a year. Plans are underfoot to rectify that. But as you see, this river and the pollution of it is both a problem we inherit 
and one to which we contribute. And that pollution is pervasive. It's intractable. That you could say that there's no part of the Potomac River that is free from the pollution. That there isn't this little healthy section and the rest is dirty. That the waters just all are touched, tainted by this corruption of the pollution. And in the same way, the waters, if you said, if you were a molecule of the Potomac River, if it were up to you to be clean, what would you do? How could you, how could you become changed? The power exists beyond you to, 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 to be changed, right? That the waters are polluted. They can't unpollute themselves. So hopefully, or maybe, you're seeing where I'm going with this, that we are like the waters, according to Calvin. Oh, I'll skip that one. I'm not going to go that one right away. That's, that's, um, Calvin talks about the original sin, uh, the, the account of Adam in Genesis and Eve eating of the fruit, uh, and that their original sin is something to, that we inherit, that it becomes part of us, that we become both, uh, we, we, we can't help but to receive it, and yet we also contribute to it. Uh, like the pollution in the river, right? Calvin uh, talks about this being hereditary, and this is the quote that I think maybe the hardest one, to, well, one of the hardest ones to hear. There's a cute baby, but even infants, this is the same person who said the thing before about the oration of God and all that, even infants bringing their condemnation with them from their mother's womb suffer not for another's but for their own defect. For although they have not yet re produced the fruits of their own unrighteousness, they have the seed implanted in them. No, their whole nature is, as it were, a seedbed of sin, and therefore cannot but be odious and abominable to God. <laughs> you ready to go out now? You ready? Look at this, shaking your heads. Uh, I'm thinking about uh, a baptism, you know where I walk the child to, and you all are looking at me with smiles on your face, I say, look at this adorable seed bed of sin. Um, <laughs> it wouldn't, I don't think it would fly. Um, so Calvin really does hold these two things in tension, that these are, that, that, that this seed, and, and you know, seed is, I think we're free of children in here. I mean, we're talking semen. We're talking inherited. It's, it's, it's passed on just in our, in our very bodies. Um, Psalm 51 that David is it's attributed to King David after he had his uh, uh, misstep with Bathsheba. Um, <laughs> David said, indeed, I was born guilty, a sinner, when my mother conceived me. Um, and just to pause here, Calvin, for Calvin, you look to script. This is all in scripture. He's not making this up. Um, that you see this in scripture. And so remember that as you think about what is scripture uh, next week and at the dessert um, and dialogue event. Calvin says our soul as our dignity, our souls, our dignity has not only been wounded, but so corrupted that mere cure is not sufficient. There must be a new nature, a new birth, kind of like the water. You just need, a, you, you need something more than just a surface level fix because the whole man from the crown of the head to the sole of the foot is so deluged Again, there's that water that no part remains exempt from sin and therefore everything that proceeds from him is imputed as sin. So that's also important that even 
Everything we do, because we are corrupted, there's nothing that is free from it. Even the good works, even the good that we do, has that touch of sin to it. From Job, Calvin quotes, Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? Not one. Okay? Now, you're probably like, no, maybe you are. You're saying, ah, that, I don't hold to that. That's not true. That's not something we believe at Westminster, is it? And yet, oh, there it is. I should have uh, let you read that along. But Everything that proceeds from him is as imputed as sin. From our call, our prayer of confession, many weeks, Almighty and merciful God, we have erred and strayed from your ways. We have followed too much our own hearts. We have offended your laws. We have left things undone. We have done the things we shouldn't. Okay, we're all with that. And there is no health in us. You have said these words, if you've been to worship. We don't say there's a yeah we're healthy we just we made some mistakes you know we 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 took a wrong step we should have gone left when we went right or we should have done this we should have done that here is a confession that says our whole being is unhealthy so certainly we inherit this idea of our our corruption our corruption. <clears throat> So what do we do with this? This notion. Uh, anybody here watching the Good Light, the Good Place? On uh, <laughs> Amy is okay. It's a never mind. It's, I won't even talk about it because only one of you will talk after class about the. Um, it's a great show on NBC about whether you can do good or not do good and how do you get into heaven and it's really funny. Uh, Ted Danson's in it for those of you who like to Cheers, but um, that's an aside. Um, so what do we do with this knowledge? If we, if, we, if we hold to what Calvin says, what are we going to do with that? Um, what are the fruits of this? Um, Calvin says, do I have this up here? I'm sorry. Our proper course after showing man has no remaining good in himself is to teach him to aspire to the goodness of which he is devoid and the liberty which he has been deprived, thus giving him a stronger stimulus to exertion than he could have had if he imagined himself possessed of the highest virtue. Um, that's one of them. And I'll come back to that again a little bit later when we talk about election and predestination. Um, yes. We've already quoted Job, but if, if we are taught to contend in our own strength, what more is done than to lift us up and to leave us to lean on a reed which immediately gives away? Remember how Calvin wants to attribute all good, all power, all love, all redemption to God, 100%. Not 98%, not 99%, not 80%, 100% to to God. (laughs) I sound like Jacob if you were at the charge. 100%, Jacob would say. Um, We are not the fountain of our own salvation, so we we need to rely on, on Christ. And so this is where the message of Christ comes into such importance for Calvin, um, that the gospel of the good news is that we are forgiven and regenerated. So there are two pieces of the good news. One is that we are forgiven, that Christ on the cross um, earns our forgiveness for all our sin. And that forgiveness and that righteousness is uh, imputed unto us. We are clothed in it. It is is part of our identity. Um, It comes to us. um, 
It's an action that is taken on our behalf, uh, an action of love. So that's the first part of the good news. For Calvin, the second part of the good news is, is repentance. And we often think of repentance as preceding forgiveness, right? Like we're in the season of Lent, so we need to repent and, 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 and be aware of our mortality and our sin in order to be ready to receive the joy of Easter. Um, for Calvin, in many respects, repentance flows from or actually, no, it doesn't flow from. Repentance is a second part of the good news, that the, the gift that we, be, we be actually are living out in a new way, are becoming more righteous, are, are turning from sin, uh, are choosing love instead of hate, all of that is also an act of God in us that happens with forgiveness. Um, we're given the keys to the car and we're given the, the power to drive it, um, perhaps is one way to think of it. The Holy, and it's all the Holy Spirit working in us. Uh, I want to go back a little bit just to remind us again that Calvin is still not one to see all bad in humanity. He, he spends pages celebrating the sciences and the artists and the philosophers and the mathematicians and the doctors, uh, you know, what wonders humanity can do. Um, but he, he really wants to make sure we don't forget that we are in this state of corruption and so reliant on God for our salvation. Um, keeps coming back to this idea. Shall we deem anything to be noble and praiseworthy without tracing it to the hand of God? Far be it from us, to, or far from us be such ingratitude. This is actually the toned down version of how he says it. Sometimes he'll, he'll come off a little stronger. Not, not a profanity laden, uh, tirade, but he'll, <laughs> how dare you think otherwise that it's something other than God, uh, tracing all of this to the hand of God. You're going to sing, I think at 11. Yes, we're singing a mighty fortress. Uh, and in chapter, in verse two, we will sing, did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing? So if, if it were up to us, we would not be on the winning side. Um, we talked about how we do the assurance of pardon after we do the prayer of confession. Once I flipped it, I think we often could. We, we ought to pray our prayer of confession after we receive the pardon because our, our confession, our repentance flows from our promise, the promise that we have uh, of forgiveness that precedes it. So everything is traced to the hand of God. Any questions so far? Because I'm going to transition here, and this is a this is a moment. If they're, uh, how are you doing with this? Is this totally objectionable, or or is this okay? Just okay. Your answer is corrupted, but it's good as well. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, this leads us to talk about providence and free will, and yes, we'll talk about predestination as well. But it's important to remember this frame. This is the foundation of, of, of these ideas, that, that it, it is God to whom we ascribe all things, and it is from God upon which we rely in every way possible for our own salvation. Um, we are powerless against sin, so we depend entirely on the power of God. Uh, and anything that detracts from our worship of God, even to the smallest iota, creates chasms of idolatry and heresy. All right. So um, how many of you have heard or prayed uh, the notion and found solace in it that God helps those who help themselves? Right. 
we'll kind of use that to get us going, right? Yeah. Um, or uh, the expression, pray as though everything depended on God, but work as though everything depended on you. That's a good way. Yeah, it gets you going, right? Uh, I think I have Calvin's sad face. Nope. Oh, wow, I hit end. That's not good. Um, well, that's what Calvin thinks of such uh, sentiments. Um, forgive me. No, it's not the end. Really? Okay. Um, lost my whole slideshow. Okay. All right. Well, we don't need that anymore. (laughs) I lost everything I worked on. Okay. It was meant to be. (laughs) But I need a cup to fortify that belief. Yeah, we're fine. Don't worry. There's nothing. um, I just don't want you to be distracted by that screen, so I'm just going to turn this off. That's okay. There we go. Okay. So God helps those who help themselves. Pray as though everything depended on God and work as though everything depended on you. Um, Then there's this poem that uh, many of you might have found helpful in life. This is called Invictus by a poet named Henley. Listen closely. Out of the night that covers me black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank Whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul, in the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced or cried aloud, and under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloodied but not unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade And yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain captain of my soul. Unhappy Calvin. Unhappy Calvin. Because he would say, wait, thank whatever gods may be. There's one God. The fell clutch of circumstance? What is circumstance? What is chance, Calvin would say? Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade? Heavens no, Calvin would say, for there is resurrection. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. No, Calvin would say, in no uncertain terms. Uh, and, I, and I offer this not as a rebuke to you who found power in that poetry, uh, but just to provide a contrast. Uh, that Calvin and reading Calvin uh, requires or invites us into really seeing the world differently and seeing God differently and seeing our lives differently. And that's something that I'm going through and studying and teaching it. And I, I invite you to that journey as well. Because God talks, or Calvin talks about God's providence, meaning that God is not one who just sits idly in heaven and looking at what's taking place in the world, but one by which he, as it were, holds the helm, captain of the soul, holds the helm and overrules all events. No chance. 
And then our objection then, we, we come up, well, well, what about, you know, when the, the crane falls from the construction site and hits somebody or the earthquake or, you know, all the terrible things, the coronavirus. Calvin says this, you know, if one falls among robbers or ravenous beasts or if a sudden gust of wind at sea causes a shipwreck, if one is struck down by the fall of a house or a tree, or if another, when wandering through desert paths, meets with deliverance, or being tossed by the waves, arrives in port and makes some wondrous hairbreadth escape from death. All of these occurrences, prosperous as well as adverse, carnal sense will attribute to fortune, to luck, to chance. But whoso has learned from the mouth of Christ that all the hairs of his head are numbered will look farther for the cause and hold that all events whatsoever are governed by the secret counsel of God. Hmm. Everything being in the dominion of God, the fountain. We could sit with that for a long time too. Um, but we'll come back and just remember why he says that, why he believes that, that he, that God is the, the the source. God is the active God in, in life. Uh, it is God who is the captain. Um, and don't make him, don't make God's second mate. So that leaves us to, um, look at the time. Yep. Our, our salvation, our souls. Um, and this is the topic that comes up when you think of Calvin, right? Predestination and election. Um, and in a way, I almost didn't want to teach it because it's hard. <laughs> but I think it's sort of one of those things you we want to just understand better. Um, or if we've never heard it before, you can, you can say, well, what, is this, what does this mean? What is this? Um, because God is the captain of our souls, Calvin argues, uh, because we cannot save ourselves any more than a molecule of water in the Potomac can become clean on its own. Um, because our, we have no merit in our salvation, but it is the gift of God's grace uh, as we experience it in faith, uh, then we, are, we, we understand that there, there's something called election. Uh, not, you know, we're in this primary season, but it's more like God choosing, claiming um, people for God's own purposes. Um, and Calvin, Calvin actually was very pragmatic. Uh, he didn't want to be, even though we're talking about doctrines of God, that how we know these things, he also didn't want to be speculative uh, and, and, and debate sort of philosophical, how many angels could fit on the edge of a pin of the needle, or so these questions that are just sort of made up. He, he really wanted to be grounded, and he found in his preaching and in his teaching um, that there sometimes the preaching didn't stick. It didn't connect that there were people just who fell away and we have to remember too that he lived in a christian context um very different from our own uh, that christianity was assumed as the norm and they were just arguing about the particulars uh, arguing pretty robustly about those particulars but yet there was a commonality there um but calvin was from real world experience and from his understanding of scripture is it 
he, he affirmed this doctrine of election, of predestination, essentially that just as God decrees to save, God also decrees that there are those who are not. That some are predestined to salvation and others to the opposite. <laughs> um, and this is where, uh, you know, and I am, I'll confess, like this is, I need more time to un- be able to teach this well. Um, because you could read and read and read to understand. But one of the questions that came up last week from Paul, in the back, oh, you're not in the back anymore, um, was about whether this notion of predestination or election was something that Calvin, how much of this was Calvin and how much of this was there to begin with amongst Lutherans and and that movement. Um, And I listened to a lecture this week, which was pretty strong in saying that Calvin was not, Calvin was only affirming the common belief of his time, that this was, uh, you know, he's tracing back to Augustine. Uh, and, and, and standard Catholic belief and that Martin Luther, uh, in his, his movement actually more forcefully articulated predestination and election. Uh, so it's attributed to Calvin solely, um, partly at least this lecture and at the, in the third class, I'm going to give you a list of sources so you can go back and, and read for yourself. But this lecturer talks about how Calvin, you know, he was a lightning rod, um, sometimes rightly and wrong, sometimes wrongly. Um, and so people would use his doctrine of predestination against him. Um, and so he, it grew to be really focused and solely attributed to him when, in fact, he was just part of a stream of belief um, that predestination and election was a, an idea that existed. Um, was I clear enough on what election and predestination means? Yeah, Amy. Yeah, good question. Um, you know, we like to think we have free will, and Calvin argues strenuously against that. Uh, and not, and not the sort of free will like, am I going to drink this cup with my right hand or my left hand? Like, not puppet free will. Like, there's still freedom of human choice and liberty. But his point is that we actually do not have the freedom to choose the good. We don't have free will to do that. And why is that? What's that? Right there, so Calvin affirms God's pre-knowledge, but it's not just pre-knowledge that it, that it. Well, in a way, Calvin says even God wills that we that we that the, that those who do the wrong and are and are the reprobate, the non-elect, that in a way God wills that too by the secret wisdom of God. So what comes to mind for me there is Judas and his betrayal of Christ that. If you read the Gospels, there's a sense, and you know, Jesus knows that this is coming, and that and that, that Judas is actually doing the will of God in portraying the Christ. Um, even though it, and this is key for Calvin, we, we're not free from guilt by our choices. So we're both not free to choose the good, but we're also culpable for choosing the bad. And the reason for that is that corruption that we talked about, that we we are part of the sinful nature that we have inherited. And to which we have contributed as well, so that we are, you know, we are deserving of judgment, and it is God's act of grace that saves. Um, so our free will is really subject to the will of God.
Um, yeah. It's, he would, I would, I'm not going to put words into Calvin's mouth. He would say it's closed in the openness of God. <laughs> that it's, that it may seem closed, but in God's wisdom, it's, it's like a river flowing. I mean, we're, it's, it's a movement towards God's plan. So that it, it, which is not closed, which is. How could he possibly know that? Like how, it's yeah. just his theory, right? Calvin? Yeah. So. Yes and no. I mean, it's, so again, it's not just Calvin. So where is he coming from? This stream, though, and and there are there are passages in you know scripture and practical awareness, um, or what he sees in the world. So Jesus says, um, you know, this is the will of him that sent me, that all of which he has given me, I should not lose. Um, actually, that's not as helpful. Wait, um, okay, Jesus in John fifteen sixteen. You, he's speaking to his disciples, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. Um, and so, and there are pass- passages like that where it's, it, it's a matter of choice that the, that the divine being chooses the following. So there's, there, there are passages of scripture from which he points, especially Romans. And if you want to, you know, Romans 9 to 11 would be a place to look because Calvin does a lot. One of the first things he wrote was his commentary on Romans, and it really sets the stage for all of that. Uh, so if you go to Romans and that understanding of election, yeah. I'm just going to ask a question. Okay. So if we're predestined, we're already elected. Sure. So what's the point of good works? Right. It's participle. So, what is the question? And I, I've forgotten to repeat the question for people listening on the podcast. So, we've had a question about free will earlier. Uh, a question about is this a closed system, and how does Calvin know this? And now we're wondering, like, what's the point if if it's all ordained, it's all preordained, right? Uh, I would say it's we're participating. It's that. Remember the second fruit of the gospel. The first fruit was forgiveness, and the second fruit was like regeneration, repentance, becoming godlike. It's that we become. We're, move, we're, we're becoming, we're, our hearts are be, being made clean. Uh, we're moving with God in this river. I'm now my language, not not Calvin's. But we we would want to do that because we understand ourselves to be the elect. Now this is we'll have to talk about that here in a second. But Calvin meant this to be a, a source of assurance to the church that. Uh, and there are three things really that Calvin saw as a gift that predestination could give people. One would be, um, I'm going to get these in order. Um, so it leads you to, 
one, give more glory to God because it's not you in your work. Like it's really giving, it's transferring praise to God would be one reason why he would say, yeah, predestination and election, it's not in my hands, it's all God. So I'm going to give God more glory. Uh, the second would be to lead us to be more humble, which is a really a correlation of the first one that we're going to, we're going to put ourselves down, take ourselves off the pedestal so that we can raise God up. And the third one is, and this is, I think, what I'm, what I'm most, I think, interested in with relative to your question is, um, he wanted not anything to undercut our sense of confidence in our salvation. That the point of this was to give us peace and to, to, to know that this election and this, uh, this salvation is assured of us, uh, that nothing can take it away. Uh, Jesus says, um, this is the will of him that sent me, that all of which he has given me, I should lose nothing or no one, but shall raise it up on the last day. Um, that, that we are supposed to hear this and say, okay, maybe intellectual, I've attributed my salvation to God alone, but there's a part of me that worries that I'm not living up. And it makes me anxious. Uh, and it makes me to do good, not out of really a sense of good, but out of my sinful need to be okay with myself because I'm aware that I'm not altogether there. Uh, and Calvin wants to remove all vestiges of that sort of anxiety and concern so that we could be more free. So then we would actually be free to live out love and do it out of a place of freedom and not compulsion. Because if good is only, if we need to do good to find salvation, then our good really is caught up and clogged up in this sort of self-regard and concern when we can just be free about it. Um, the good life, if, you, if that comes out in that show. Yeah. And then yeah. there is somebody behind you, but you are the only one raising your hand right now. Yeah. Okay. So it's your free will. You walk through that door, but it was within the will of God. And you see that once you're on the on the other side of the door, you were invited, but now that you're there, you're secure in your faith. Yeah, Calvin College. <laughs> <laughs> right, Calvin College. Right. Yeah, so it's kind of going through the door. I'm just trying to do this for the listeners. Going through a door that invites you through it and you do out of your own will and then looking back you realize it was part of God's work for you. Yeah, um, Paige I think was next. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she said, it sounds sadly fatalistic to me if you'd never be able to change. Um, the will to change, the desire to change, let's say you're not able to, but you really want to, or you have that desire in your heart to change. Calvin would attribute that and, and say, that's a sign that you're in the elect, that your faith is working through you, that, that you are on the road to regeneration. Um, so that there is still that, it doesn't take away the fatalism, but if there's a sense of wanting, that, that sense of wanting is a sign of deliverance. Um, so 
and it's not it's not a one thing that you chose to have but it is emerged from in you um and calvin does there, his, in his institutes, he takes on these objections, and, and he can argue them better than I. I mean, I truly, and I don't mean to use that as an out, but he talks about, like, it is people in his time objected, like, this seems like totally fatalistic or uh, on the whims of God or what's the point. Um, and he could still hold to, no, there, there is there is a point to this. There's an ethical end to this, how we understand God. and. And how we look to our neighbor and, and still see the image of God in that neighbor, even if that God, you know, in God's freedom, that that person may or may not be expressing that faith yet, but maybe on the road. So we all, I think Calvin would say, you don't you don't go around counting sheep and goats, and you don't have to also look at yourself and worry, am I a sheep or am I a goat? It's it. He wanted you to f- claim that you are in the fold of God. Uh, and to not lose that. So, for, so ironically, the same thing that produces anxiety, maybe, and how you see it, he would say, no, it's it's, it's to produce comfort and strength. Um, and please don't take that as a rebuke. I just mean that that's how he would he would see it. Um, I will just say I need to speak autobiographically a little bit here. Is that when I got to this section, um, you know, and I proceeded through all you know these wonderful treatises on prayer and devotion and how great God is. And I got to this section and it was just, I, I mean, Amy saw me in the hallway. If you saw me in the hallway, I was like, ah, oh, I didn't want to teach the class anymore. Um, I, I thought it, it, if I, if I, if I don't subscribe to this, does this mean everything else that I've enjoyed here to this point is now worthless? So I need to throw it all away. Um, and with time, what I, <laughs> you've seen books like uh, a year of living biblically. Have you seen those books where people take on, you know, they're going to live the Bible for a set period of time? I've, I've somewhat said I'm going to live Calvinically um, and try it on um, to try on this viewpoint of God's providence and sovereignty and even election. Um, and I mean, you know, you know me and you know my family situation and my friendships. Uh, it's not easy for me to think of God choosing the faithful and, and abandoning the rest and all of that. Um, so by no means am I standing here saying I've got it all figured out. However, I will claim that reading this and moving through it and understanding where it's coming from leads me, it leads me to greater trust. Um, it has, it, it has, it is having that effect on me um, and to, to wonder and, you know, the coronavirus, is this sent from God to punish or to, I don't know. Um, I don't believe it, but I also believe that God is above my line of thinking. And, and so maybe God is in the coronavirus. Um, so I, I think what I would encourage you all to do who are struggling with that is with what you've heard so far is to, to stick with that um, and and try it on. Just see where it leads. Um, see if it leads you to see, um, to really trust God more with your whole life, um, and have less concern that it's on your shoulders. Um, it's not easy though. It really isn't. <laughs> yeah, Carol.
All right. Well, predestined, so, so Carol said it, it, it's very hard when, and you, she brought up the example of a child being born into abuse or hardship to, to sit with a God that is behind that in some way, where that could be in any way accordant to God's will. Um, whereas if things are going well, obviously to say thank you and be thankful for those things. And I think Calvin would say, yes, be, this ought to lead you to be thankful to live gratitude for all that is good. And then with the terrible, um, you know, would God say in Calvin's mind, would God's, would Calvin say that God predestined a child to abuse? I, I don't know. He might, or I don't think he'd use the word predestined because I think predestination here is, is really referring to salvation, to the ultimate, uh, you know, eternal, embrace of God for in, in, in eternity, you know, what we understand that to be, and not necessarily to the specific, you know, God predestined the tree to fall on my head. However, but I don't want to walk away too far from that, because Calvin, we just heard that quote, where Calvin attributed the shipwreck and the all of that to the secret counsel of God. The Calvin, I think, would say, take the he takes the long view that in in momentary affliction, as horrible as that affliction may be. And Calvin suffered, you know, himself. Um, in in all momentary affliction to remember that it is part of God's secret counsel and will that leads that is that leads to resurrection and new life and and, and hope. Um, that we that, so he really was pushing for perseverance and endurance. So he would say, I know life is terrible for that child and that parent of that child. And God is in that, so hang on, because God is, and, and that's, I think, pastorally, Calvin, you know, Calvin was a pastor, even though he wasn't ordained, he was a pastor to people in his preaching, and he was a pastor to pastors, so he would, he would want the, he, would, he was trying to urge people to stay with this God when the calamities occurred, uh, because that God is so fixed and so, you know, Immovable, not subject to chance. So, because Calvin, if 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 life is, you know, the Invictus poem, if life is just whimsy and bad luck, then what is God? Calvin would say, you you've made God nothing. Um, when we say God is with us, Calvin would say, God is not just here in the air, but a mover and a shaker towards God's will, which. Because God is righteous, God's will is righteous. And because we are not righteous, ours are not. Um, that's Calvin. Don't throw tomatoes at me. But, I mean, uh, I, Matt, I think, was next, and then Gail, and then Doug. So, Matt. This idea of free will, is it, is it less free will because God knows what our ultimate choice is or what his plan is? Is it less free will? And then I kind of swap it. 
God's omniscience and our free will. If he doesn't, then he's not really God. Yeah, you, I mean, the latter part, at least, I hear is I hear echoes of Calvin in that that there's a if you if you if you want to preserve human free will and the reality of chance, then you're the scale the scale gets shifted, and then therefore life is left to yeah. Yeah, so Calvin, there were those that argued in Calvin's time that really what we're talking about is that God knows what's going to happen but has nothing to do with making that happen. Calvin would say by no means that that's, that, that's not God then. That's just a God who's got the, the – that's a Google God who can search everything up in, in God's mind as to what's going to happen and when, but a God that doesn't affect anything in that, so a passive observer. So Calvin really does – push against the notion that it's just about knowledge. Um, you know, the, another part, of, and I'll, I think I was going to Gail and then I was going to Doug, another part of this is to remember that this is, in, in this version of the Institutes, it changed, but in this version of the Institutes, this notion of predestination and election comes pretty late. So um, on one hand, it's not something that he's, this is not the fundamental basis of all of our faith, that this is really an, a fruit of attributing all to God, right? That this is, I'm going to extend this out. This is what happens. Um, the other side to that, though, is Calvin does say, and this is, I didn't know this. I thought Calvin basically said, eh, let's not talk too much about this. Yes, I believe in predestination, but this isn't something to really talk about because he says it's a um, detestable, what's the expression? It's a detestable doctrine, or he has some expression, like it's bad. But he also says we no pre, he's he's writing this for preachers we need to preach this that this this is not something to hide because it's it's about the glory of God so don't hide it so he didn't run away from it either um, Gail. Right, the indulgences and the paying, the, right? What would I struggle with is why did Calvin just come on for so long? Because mm. sometimes when we get to the creeds of this church, I go, well, I don't know. You know, I have to wait one second. You know, it just seems to me that it doesn't become all inclusive. Yeah. So Gail's wondering about, you know, this comes out of a historical context in which certain concerns were overriding that are not overriding today. And is, is this, do we need this now? Is that a fair way of asking? Well, I, I, I'm wondering how, how has it been managed to last all okay. this long if everybody's struggling like <coughs> in this group? Or maybe we don't take too much of a look at it and just say, and I will say, this is a wonderful community that we are part of and I want to be a part of this church that happens to be faithful. Right. I, I think it's important that when I'm teaching this, you know, yes, if you ask everybody here what they thought about this, do you have to be a Calvinist? Like, do you have to be Calvin to be a Westminster member? No. I mean, we're all Lord of the, God alone is Lord of the conscience. Like, God is working through all of that. Um, I think, I think where I, 
I want to claim that God, my salvation is completely God's work, not my own. So, so it's almost like I think that's something that we would ascribe to, right? That that, that is something we believe. That we talk about unconditional love. That, uh, that's another way of saying that that love is not dependent on what we do or don't do. Amen, hallelujah, right? Calvin's forcing us to see the extension of that to its fullest conclusion. Um, that that if it's not my work and it's completely God, it is God who determines who is elect and who is not. Um, and so it intellectually. Yeah. The Holy Spirit working in us, would Calvin say, that that we are it, God's faith is a gift of the Spirit. Um, the, the authority of Scripture is because of the Spirit. It's all we're, and it's all a gift, is what Calvin would say. I want to make sure I give uh, Doug a chance, and then I think I saw Paul, and then we're yeah. Calvin Luther, this is all part of obviously the Reform movement, the Reformation. Yeah. Apparently, and I'm going to really have to sort of say I heard, <laughs> but apparently that, that, that this was Catholic doctrine as well at that time. That, that he, I was surprised when I heard that, but um, because it kind of hits at the fundamentals of the whole system of indulgences and all of those things. But um, that this is not plucked out, that Calvin came up with this idea. It really existed in the stream of both Reformation and because it, it does go back to Augustine. In the fourth, in, in the fifth century, um, or, or was it fourth? Phil? Anyway, so it's it's coming from a place that it's been, it's been it's been in the in the water, if you will. Um, Paul. I mean, to some extent, I, many of our challenges when it comes to this are that all of us want to be the elect, and we right. want to think there's something we can do to Yeah. Is that a fair way to sort of summarize that? We need to take our own desires out of the equation to where it ends up. Yes, to the last sentence. And if we're rejoicing, we are by its very nature then part of the elect. That by being here, by singing today, by by asking questions and struggling with it, but wanting to understand, we're we're we are in the fold, um, and. We don't know who's out of the fold because even the ones that we see now that do not seem to be in the fold may very well be in the fold, according to God's secret wisdom. Um, I've heard one interpretation that we talked about the elect, and somebody has said, well, maybe humanity is the elect, all of humanity. Um, you know, and Calvin 
we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face, says Paul in Corinthians. Like Calvin is in the eternal glory. And I'd love to ask Calvin for dinner, not just the human one, but the now one, and say, are you still, where, where are you on all of this? Um, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to close off questions for now. Um, I do want to close on this, though, two things. Um, and I had a nice picture of a river again. But remember that river, the dirty one? Um, remember the words of uh, John, the John of Patmos in, in, in the book of Revelation, where he says that God, the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. And on either side of the river is the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit producing fruit in its months. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. So I just want to hold that image of the, the clean river, the holy river, um, as the bookend to where this is supposed to be going in our minds, in our faith, in our hope. Uh, not to wash away and, and overlook these hard questions. I don't mean to put a, like a, oh, it's simple, gloss on this, but to frame it in this, the movement to where where this is going for Calvin, where it's going for us. And our, so our, our ethical, um, our ethics is to, to not line, lean on our own wisdom, but follow the Lord wherever God leads, to abandon ourselves and devote the whole energy of our minds to the service of God, and then to do good to all without exception. Um, this is from the same chapter as predestination, by the way, to do good to all without exception, though the greater part, if estimated by their own merits, are most unworthy of it. We are not to look to what men in themselves deserve, but to attend to the image of God, which exists in all and to which we owe all honor and love. Happy Calvin. Hard Calvin. For him, the hard Calvin is in service of the happy. Um, I'm going to try again and play that hymn. Last week I said I'd get nervous when I play the piano. I'll have, I'm going to stand and sing verses 3 and 4 quickly, and then we're going to race to the sanctuary. Uh, so let's sing. Uh, wish me luck. If you don't have a sheet, uh, that's right. Okay. All right, you ready?